This is Andrew Hall. You're listening to Dead Hand Radio. My guest for this episode is Linda Zimmerman, paranormal investigator, UFO researcher, and author. Linda has a background in science and approaches all of her investigations using the scientific method and applies critical thinking in each case that she looks into. Recently inducted into the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies, she's also written 30 books. In this episode, Linda and I start off talking about her early days as a child of the Cold War, what she remembers firsthand of living under the threat of nuclear war. Then we talk about our shared interest in the space program and discuss how it has evolved, as well as the positive direction it's going and our hopes for the future of that program. Linda then shares her background as a scientist and her journey from working in the medical industry to becoming a writer and pursuing a career of studying the paranormal and UFO subjects, and how her training and education as a scientist is applied to these areas of study. We open up several of her case files from both the paranormal and the UFO studies she's done. We talk about her latest book that's out now, and Linda shares some of her personal experiences with the paranormal as well as a UFO sighting she had firsthand, all of which has helped solidify her conviction that these topics warrant further study by the scientific community. All this and more on the UFO edition. Thanks for listening. I'm Linda Zimmerman, a former research scientist who writes and investigates the paranormal and the UFO field, and you're listening to Dead Hand Radio. Hi, Linda. Welcome to Dead Hand Radio. Thank you for having me. So how are things going in your part of the world? I'm in uh, southern New York, and uh COVID is is coming back with a vengeance right now. Sorry to hear that. Now, have you always lived in that part of the, the country, southern New York? Yes. Yes, I have. The Hudson Valley of New York uh, specifically, um, which is why I write a, a lot about topics here, because that's where I was born and raised and, and have lived. Okay, good deal. Now, as I mentioned, um, the podcast is a Sent focuses on the Cold War um, in particular, but I have recently started expanding the topics that I cover, and I like to uh, the the subject of UFOs and the paranormal has always fascinated me. Well, more so in the recent probably four or five years, and so I started expanding the scope of the podcast to include talks with people who have had experience experiences in those areas as well as people who do research and investigative work in those areas um and like i said i did not find a whole lot about you out there and if you would please just fill me in a little bit on your background about how you got involved and how you started writing about the topics sure um I was beginning my career as a research scientist for a medical diagnostics company here in um, <clears throat> in southern New York, and uh, there were there were layoffs, and I decided. Well, I always planned on writing when I was retired, and um, 
I thought, well, let me give it a shot now and see if, you know, I can always go back to the lab. And that was um, early 80s, mid 80s, and I never went back to the lab. So I started writing on a variety of topics, uh, local history, science, things like that. And out of the blue, people started asking if I knew any ghost stories. And I said, well, yeah, I, I know some. I was interested as a kid. And I started telling a couple of ghost stories as part of my local history lectures. And the floodgates just opened. Um, people would would mail me their their house keys and say, I'm going to be away for, you know, the week if you want to come and investigate my house. It just, it was just crazy. It really just fell into my lap. And um, uh, so I started writing about the paranormal and, and ghost investigations. And, and then <clears throat> probably that was pro about 25 years ago that I started that. And then whenever I'd give a lecture on anything, often in this area, people would come up and tell me their UFO stories. And I'd say, you know, I just gave a lecture on the Civil War. You know, <laughs> did, did you miss that part? Um, <laughs> you know, and they said, no, no, but you should, you should really look into this. And I had had a couple of sightings when I was younger. And I said, yeah, let, let me look into it. And once again, I, a um, couple of articles in small local newspapers and my email box and my regular mailbox were just flooded with people's stories. And it's, um, it's fascinating, the, you know, the things I delve into, you never know what you're going to come upon. So um, 30 books on a variety of topics later, mostly UFOs and, and the paranormal, and uh, here I am. Well, first of all, congrats on the body of work that you've been able to put out there. That's that's quite a bit of writing, and that's a a little bit. Let's say like a book and a half a year or something, isn't it? Um, yes, pretty much. There were some years I would do uh, three books. You know, one ghost book, one UFO book. Uh, maybe I love writing fiction. And, you know, it might be a fiction book. Um, so, yeah, I've been lucky because to me, it's never work. I love the writing process. Um, so to me, it's it's uh, it's it's a win win. <laughs> well, it sounds like through your experiences, uh, it sounds like you're a little bit of a, a, a history. Um, you have a, an interest in history, too. Is that is that correct? Yes, absolutely. I used to, um, when I was a kid, I devoured history books. And I think by studying history, it, it allows you to go out into every single topic. And no matter what you're writing about, um, if you know the history of an area and you know how to do research, you know, documents, uh, newspaper archives, whatever, it, it, helps in all disciplines i think i agree 100 percent. i and i i hate to sound like a broken record but that's really why i chose the cold war as a topic because it's it's not an event it's a period of history that covers uh the better part of 40 years 
and uh, it impacted the entire world for multiple generations and just completely influenced every aspect of our lives. And so it's really a huge topic to talk about, and it still continues to this day to affect us in some ways. So it allows me to talk about current events and even future events. Oh, absolutely. For those who lived through it, it, uh, it left an indelible imprint. And, you know, everything I think going forward from there, you have that mindset of the Cold War, you know, that, that looming sense of danger that, um, you know, the whole world can go up in a second. And, um, you know, not that we all live in fear, but it's something in the back of your mind. You know, if you, you went through that period, you know, especially as a little kid, um, you thought, okay, this is the way of the world. Um, everything can go up in smoke at any moment. Absolutely. Do you remember your first uh, moment of awareness that you were living under that threat of nuclear war? Well, certainly in school, we saw the, I remember vividly, the duck and cover film, and we would see other films like that. I I just remember being so completely horrified. Uh, there was one, you know, how to survive after a nuclear blast. And I remember, I can picture it so clearly. There's a woman in her kitchen and everything's covered in fallout. And she picks up her loaf of bread and they say, now make sure to brush the fallout off of the loaf of bread before you use it. And even at whatever young age I was, I'm like, this is not right. This, you know, something is seriously wrong here. And we'd have to practice diving under our desks if we saw, you know, a blinding flash. And then um, they would also have a special alarm that would go off and we'd run into the hall and you'd separate, you know, everybody would get against the wall and, you know, curl up in a ball and protect your protect your head with your arms, um, which, of course, if a nuclear bomb was coming, that's the way they'd find the imprint of your your incinerated body. Um, but it, you know, they were trying to give everybody some sense of protection and safety. Yeah, no, for me, I, I grew up, well, I was born in 66. So I grew up in the 70s, more or less. Um, and then we still did some of that duck and cover stuff in the early days of the seventies. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I vaguely remember seeing some of those movies, but I think it was kind of on the way out at that time. Um, but I did have an, a moment of realization that we were still at odds with the Soviet union and there was still a high risk of nuclear war with them because I picked up, I think it was a time, it was either a time or a life magazine. And on the cover, it had a Soviet tank with the tanker sitting atop that, that tank. Mm -hmm. And he had his padded helmet on and he just looked so scary to me. Now, I was like seven or eight right. years old. And that dude just looked so scary to me. And I'm, I can't remember exactly what the headline was, but it had something to do with, um, you know, the potential for the Soviets to invade the U.S. or something like that. And ever since then, I've been just fascinated with 
the conflict between the Soviet Union and the West. Mm. And uh, that, that was the moment that I remember where it really impacted me for the first time. And then, you know, I, I always paid attention to what was going on after that. Yeah, and and particularly in the '60s, um, you know, it was it was pretty extreme. And in the '60s, just everybody you knew, your father and everybody else's father, you know, had served in World War II and or Korea. So you know, you grew up with this idea. Well, this is what people do. You know, everybody's dad goes and fights. And then my father was working in a hospital and one day he brought home this barrel, I still have part of it, civil defense barrel with um, survival crackers and survival candy and emergency medical, you know, it was, it was something that was supposed to be in a fallout shelter. And he was able to get one for us to keep in our basement just in case, again, of nuclear attack, we would at least have these survival rations. So you know, um, that makes an impression on a, on a, you know, five-year-old kid for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you didn't have a, an official fallout shelter, but you did have a basement, right? Right. We had a basement and we had the supplies in there. Wow. Did you live through the, um, Cuban missile crisis? Yeah, I was only four years old then. I vaguely remember, Bay of Pigs is a very strange, uh, <laughs> I, remember, I remember that was, you know, the, the failed uh, attempt, but I, I was aware of Cuba uh, for sure. I remember the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. I remember later, when was the Bay of Pigs? That was several years later? Or Oh, no, that was prior. Oh, that was prior. Okay. Um, I remember that. And um, I remember... Um, Cuba was of particular interest in my family because my mother, my mother's father during the 20s and 30s worked at a, a hospital in Cuba and they were from Boston, but um, my mother was actually born there and that was supposed to be the big family secret. Don't even, you know, she was an American citizen um, from Boston, but you didn't tell anybody, you know, your mother was born in Cuba. That was, you know, the, that was like the big secret. You did not want to be connected with Cuba, even though it was, you know, 1927, <laughs> that, oh, you wow. know, yeah. you know, that she was still, there was the taint of that. So, um, you know, when we, whenever we'd see something on Cuba, you know, we'd be reminded, don't say anything. Um, about this yeah that's uh I, I think that went on for far too long the the embargo and the um the the sanctions that we had in place against cuba and i know it was to put pressure on the soviet union but those people had a rough time you know and they mm -hmm. were able to eke out a living but that they had a brutal dictator down there and i mean how many thousands of people every year tried to cross the right. ocean in boats to, to get to the U.S., right? Yeah, and I, I had a friend who um, his family escaped Cuba. They were going to visit family in Florida, and they had no plans of coming back, but they couldn't make it look like that. 
and they told you know he's a little kid and they told him don't bring all your toys don't bring any toys you don't want it to look like you're not coming back hmm. but he had some favorite i don't know say a, a stuffed bear or something and he had it hidden in his jacket and he was so terrified when they found you know when they're getting ready to get on the plane they found this toy in his jacket and he thought that's it i've i've doomed my whole family and they you know they let him keep it and get on the plane and that's how they came to this country but he still remembers that so vividly i mean what kind of way to scar a little kid yeah. you're you're trying to take a little toy and you think you've just you know your whole family's going to die because you took a, a toy with you yeah um I, yeah. I think about my my grandson now he's four years old and to see you know to think of him in a predicament like that just mm -hmm. breaks my heart yeah you know? absolutely that there it's just man i so the um okay so we've established that we both had experiences of uh, a, a pretty interesting i guess you know if you boil it down to it there's no doubt about it. It was certainly an interesting time to be alive. Mm -hmm. uh, there were scientific and technological innovations that took place during the, the Cold War that were never even thought of prior to that. The, the space race, sending a man to the moon. Uh, you know, all of that stuff came out of the Cold War. Yes, I, I, that stuff was thought of in science fiction prior to that, but um, until the the uh, space race in the late 60s um, and putting a man on the moon in 1969, uh, that was, you know, almost unimaginable. And I think it was, had a big part, in, or the uh, Cold War itself had a big part to play in that whole, uh, that whole e experiment, I mm -hmm. guess. Yeah, I, I was a huge fan of the space program. I mean, the I, I still remember laying on the floor in front of the black and white TV watching Neil Armstrong put his foot on the moon. That was an indelible part of, of my uh, existence and um, just heartbroken when they stopped it all. I mean, it was a space race, the idea we have to beat the Russians. Okay, we did. We're not interested anymore. And, um, you know, turning an, a, a Saturn V rocket into the, uh, the uh, you know, space station there um, was that I just felt so let down by that because there was such a promise of all the things we were going to do, a base on the moon going on to Mars. You know, as a little kid, it was so inspiring. And then they just pulled the plug, you know, Skylab, that was it. They just pulled the plug and you're like, well, wait a minute. Why were we doing this then? You know, you don't make these incredible scientific leaps and bounds and then just stop. It's yeah, exactly right. It's like Columbus coming to, to America. Okay. I found it. Let's go home. No, nothing to see here. Um, you know, I, I, I'm still bitter about that, that, uh, and I hope I live long enough to see us get back to the moon, but, um, 
yeah, you know, you got to learn that things are run by money and politics and um, science, unfortunately, often takes a back seat. Yeah, and, and exploration, too, because that was, you know, there was science involved, but that was a, a huge opportunity for humans to explore the vast reaches of space. And mm -hmm. instead of doing it with with human beings on board, they just decided to start sending probes out into into deep space and in onto uh, the other planets and stuff. Yeah. So it it didn't stop completely, but the the manned space travel or space exploration did get uh, throttled back quite a bit to where oh, all we yeah. were doing is going into low Earth orbit and. Right. You know, the 143rd shuttle launch. Um, you know, I, I love the shuttle and all that. But again, we were on the threshold of something great. And what better way to have the world cooperate than with a mutual space program? So I think that was a great opportunity lost for the Russians. You know, they just didn't, you know, they're trying to, the Buran trying to copy our space shuttle by stealing our plans and things. Well, maybe if we had openly all worked together, um, we would have achieved great things and maybe, maybe it would have been a more peaceful world. I agree. And yeah, I would love to see that, that cooperation throughout the international community come together to, to pursue a more serious agenda in space. Uh, because I think if we did that, we could inhabit other planets, and it wouldn't it, it wouldn't take what it what was since we last time we went to the moon I think was seventy three or seventy four, which is over fifty years ago, or almost fifty years ago, right? Forty five, forty six years ago. Um, yeah, we we don't need to wait another four or five decades to get back to the moon and to get you know to get on Mars. Uh, we just need to do it now. I mean, we're we're making really good progress in that direction by privatizing the industry. Um, companies like um, SpaceX and uh, Blue Origin, I think, is another one. And there's a there's a couple more that are really opening up those opportunities, and I think that's fantastic. Yeah, getting tourists. Uh, is it Virgin Galactic that's going to be taking tourists? Um, you know, there's this enormous waiting lot list. And great, get people enthusiastic about space. Encourage the younger generation in science and technology and engineering, um, you know, fields. Uh, especially now, the world could use some sort of unifying force that's beyond politics. Absolutely. And the thing is, people are really afraid that there's going to be a disaster similar to the, you know, one of the shuttle explosions. Um, but that doesn't need to stop us from pursuing that goal, because if you think about it, how many ships had gone down in the in the ocean? You know, even the cruise liner, the Titanic sunk with, every, you know, with, um, I don't know, th I think it was 1500 people died in that in that sinking yeah but there's always risks stop, yeah that didn't stop people from traveling by sea it shouldn't stop us from pursuing uh you know space travel either right absolutely yeah i am 110 percent behind you know the space the space programs going on 
Uh, I was hesitant about private industry, but now I see they are really, they are really doing things. Um, before COVID hit, I was in uh, uh, Florida in March and watched one of the launches with the um, the booster that re-enters yeah. and and lands softly. Mm-hmm. Well, I you know I was just blown away. We all here here's all these grown adults. We were just gasping we were like giddy it's like this is remarkable you know it goes up and then it was equally remarkable seeing this thing land not far from where we were were viewing and it's like you know you just wanted to cheer and say this is what we should be doing as a as people as as a human race um you know, not get too philosophical. Let let's all strive for something greater and beyond ourselves. Yes. So that's my soapbox. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's for fair. Now. That's fair. <laughs> I you know I usually encourage guests to stay away from politics because that's a sore spot for a lot of people. Yes. Pol- politics and religion are two very sensitive topics that I, you know, I prefer not to talk about. Um you didn't do that. And so you, you're welcome to get on the soapbox and talk about humanity <laughs> coming together and working as, as a unit to get, you know, to advance our whole race, you know, the mm-hmm. whole planet. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I and, totally agree with that. Yeah. I I've given a lot of, I used to lecture on astronomy in the space program. And I, one time I put up a list of all the technologies that have come out of space exploration and the font was so tiny because i had to jam so many things and people were aghast that wow all of these things and then i went to slide number two three four five (laughs) and that's how much we have gained um from from you know the space industry and uh, people don't realize it. And no, what don't. more, yeah, what more can we gain uh, by pursuing those those goals? And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to stay on this topic too much because I do want to get back into the, 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 you know, the topics of your, of your research over the past 25 years plus. But um, it, there is correlation because by, humans going into space there's going to be a greater opportunity to encounter these kind of i don't know what they are if they're if they're craft or they're entities or mm-hmm. you know we'll but we'll get back into that but sure. um i i do want to say and i i just want to piggyback on what you've already said because it's important it's so important that people need to remain enthusiastic about the advancements that we've achieved in space and continue to push against or push on uh, or put pressure on Congress and the, the, the leaders of our country and of the world to continue to fund these projects and, and even increase funding for these projects so that we can get back more more out of it oh yes absolutely and uh you know any of the younger listeners who don't understand what went into the um mercury 
Gemini and Apollo missions, the number of people that came together because of that, it's it's worth, uh, let's say, even if you don't devote time to reading a book, at least Google it and realize what came of it and how many future scientists it, it, it did inspire. Absolutely. And there's a there's a hundred podcasts out there that talk about the space program and this and space travel and the future of space travel. I encourage people that listen to podcasts to go check out some of those other podcasts out there because the 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 amount of knowledge and information that's available on this topic alone, uh, you you could study it for the rest of your life and still learn something new every day. Right. Yeah, and it's a fascinating topic. I mean. If when I was a kid, you mentioned um, seeing Neil Armstrong step onto the moon for the first time, and I remember that too. Even though I was probably only four, three or four years old, I vaguely remember seeing that. But I, what I remember more is the feeling, and it's probably because you know my my parents were there, and and they had that feeling of pride that everybody else was was feeling, and. It just, I wanted to be an astronaut. You know? <laughs> I, I so badly wanted to be an astronaut after that. And uh, well, that never happened, but um, you know, it, it's good to have dreams and goals. And when you discover early on what you want to do, and if you're able to maintain that kind of a focus, then yeah, you can, you can achieve the stars literally because mm -hmm. of what you know the advancements in technology right now yes absolutely so we we are in lockstep in that uh in this these regards definitely i'm so glad we connected because you know when uh, preston gave me your name um i had simply asked him if he knew of any other researchers or experiencers of the ufo phenomena that or in the area of the paranormal um that uh, would be interested in talking with me. And I just happened to hit the lottery by him giving me your name and us <laughs> connecting because we have well, so much in common and so many interests that we share. It's awesome. Who knew? Um, yeah. Yes. Thank you, Preston. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, okay. So let's, let's go into that area of the weird that you've been involved in for the better part of a quarter century. Um, you said it started out with your, uh, your interest in the paranormal, is that right? Yes, um, people, you know, there weren't all of these ghost shows or ghost hunting groups and um, the Hudson Valley happens to be a very particularly haunted location because, you know, first it was the Native Americans for how many thousands of years and then you know, 400 years since the Dutch arrived. And, uh, you know, if hauntings are the result of tragedies and human drama, we have had more than our share in, in this area. Yeah, so uh, as I said, I people started asking about ghost stories and I started investigating. I think my first one of my first investigations, I had a notebook, a pen, and a cassette recorder. <laughs> that was that was it. And um, learned by trial and error. You know, you didn't pick up a ghost hunting 101 book 
and you just went and I acquired equipment over time and uh, just the fascinating places I was able to go, you know, private homes, historic homes, museums, uh, hospitals, battlefields, uh, prisons, um, you name it. And you get you get unique access when you do what I do. I, I know now a lot of places are pulling back because of liability. And, you know, everybody who got an acronym for a ghost hunting group started doing it and, you know, not, not acting very professional. So there's been a little bit of backlash there. But for so many decades, I just had this, as I said, unbelievable access to these amazing locations and enjoying the history when I, the way I do, um, you know, I was able to combine the history, combine my science background, um, you know, into all that, and then my love of writing. And for me, it just all, all clicked. And I don't know, I think I have 15 ghost books now of, you know, my actual cases. And I love lecturing on it, you know, going all over, um, telling the ghost stories. And it's kind of a such self-perpetuating thing because if I give a lecture, you know, say I talk about a dozen cases, well, I'll probably have 20 people come up to me afterwards and give me leads or tell me their own stories. And so there, there is absolutely no lack of, of haunted locations. Uh, yeah, it sounds like an interesting career path for sure. Uh, Not one I planned. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know you're on the right path when everything is starting to line up and, and you start to experience these synchronicities. And this is something that I've only become aware of recently. I've heard the term synchronicity, mm -hmm. but I didn't know how important it was to pay attention to the 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 number of times that you experience synchronicity whether you know you're you're in the right job that you're supposed to be doing the right career path that you, that you you chose the, if you're with the right uh life partner or, mm -hmm. or whatever it is you're going to have these synchronicities start lining up and people call them coincidences but coincidences are, are a little bit of a different thing Synchronicities are more like telling, like signals telling you that you are absolutely going the right direction. Yes, for sure. And it was like um, once I decided to pursue the paranormal field, it was like a series of neon billboards um, that just every doors just literally opened. Um, you know, we'd get access to. Uh, museums that here's the security code go in you know talk about the night in the museum here go into the museum you have free reign um it was just amazing and i'm like how did i develop this level of trust i i don't i'm not quite sure how it all happened but people you know they they felt i was honest and i would do a good job and they could trust me in their homes their you know, their businesses or whatever. So it was just, it was like this magical combination um, that just worked. Yeah. And, and if you're, 
and more of a person who thinks on a metaphysical level you can you can say that the universe was lining up for those opportunities or those doors of opportunities literally to open up for you yes for, for sure and then when you're dealing in a subject like this um these unbelievable experiences happen to you and you're more convinced than ever that the the line between living and death is is you know a very short one and we are in contact with these things they're trying to contact us and it, it just gives you a more all-encompassing view of life and death because they're so close and interconnected i think it's a um it's a rare person well maybe not so rare now but when you started out it, it's a rare person who comes from a scientific background that that uh, has established the the habits of rigorous investigation to be able to go into this field. Uh, how did that help you in your investigations by being a a critical thinker and looking at these topics from a the, a scientific perspective? Well, certainly, you know, having come from a background knowing how to to um, conduct an experiment, investigations are basically experiments. Um, you have equipment, you have observers, you check um, your equipment, you test things out. Any results, you look for other explanations. You know, is there a rational explanation? You have timelines. Well, this event happened here. Does this match up with anything else? It's, it's a discipline you acquire in science and then you translate that to this field and that you know there's more to it than that but that's that's a part that i think a lot of people especially you know groups that just suddenly come together they don't they don't have that scientific discipline and mindset that um you know so many people want you to come out with those these outrageous claims and every photo that you get a speck of dust in is a ghost and it's like no i think in my 25 years i have two maybe photos that i absolutely cannot explain um and i think may be paranormal and i am just not willing to go that route without the what I consider, maybe I can't say proof, but very, very strong evidence that I cannot ascribe these voices that I record or these images to to anything normal. So you are um, more of a, uh, a a pragmatic investigator. You come from the perspective that these things can be explained until they cannot be explained, right? So you you set out with trying to prove that these things are something other than spirits. Is that correct? Right. Uh, but it's it's really twofold for me. I come in first and foremost as a scientist, but having had some unbelievable sixth sense type of experiences, um, you know, I absolutely 
embrace that part of it as well. You know, nobody ever calls me and says, you know, my EMF meter is fluctuating dramatically here. No, they call and say, I felt something, I heard something. So I, over the years, actually have cut down on the number of uh, pieces of equipment and some of the new equipment is just I'm sorry, it is so ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, uh, they've they've just gone way out there. And, you know, people say, oh, what should I buy? What should I do? What's the best way to conduct an, uh, an investigation? And my answer is always sit down and be quiet. That's the best way to conduct an investigation. And then, you know, once you get a feel for it, then get the meters and the, the equipment and things. Um, because a lot of what a haunting is, is not something scientifically measured. It is on a different type of level that we, we really haven't been able to capture yet uh, quantitatively. That is such a good point. Uh, now, EVPs is one thing that is really anomalous. And, and, and there are times when it's just very strange. And I think that's one of the more compelling, in my mind, you know, I'm not saying, mm -hmm. and everybody can approach this in a different way, a, a different level of skepticism. But to me, the EVPs are one of the more compelling um, forms of, of evidence that's captured. Uh, and, and there's times where I've heard people like make stuff up that, it, you know, the, the recording didn't sound anything like what they were trying to say that. Right. It did. But right there are there are times where like wow and you know i i'm only talking about what i've seen on tv because i haven't gone out to the field to investigate mm -hmm. have you ever uh had an evp that was just there was no explanation for it 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 was crystal clear and you know that it was something that you can't explain Yes, my best example of that was at the um, Orange County, uh, uh, the, there was a county prison in uh, Kingston, New York. And we were, I was there with several of the, it had closed and gone to another facility. So this was basically an abandoned prison. I was there with some former uh, corrections officer, uh, my ghost hunting partner is a police officer, Mike Warden. Um, and what I like to do is set up equipment somewhere and leave the area. So if there are any sort of sounds, we know it's not contamination from anything we're doing. So I had a digital recorder at the end of one cell block. We're in another cell block. And then you come home and you have hours and hours of you know, video and audio to go through. I, you know, people think ghost hunting is so exciting until you have to watch four hours of a wall, <laughs> you know, or a room. It's like watching paint dry. Um, so I'm sitting there listening to this audio and all of a sudden I hear Sarah and I like almost fall out of my chair. I'm like, did I not often? You know, I play it back, but sure enough, it's this whispered Sarah. So I'm okay. So I called one of the security guards. I didn't want to prejudice him. I just said, I'm going to send you an audio clip. Please listen to it and get back to me. And I said, you know, this was recorded in such and you know, cell block C, whatever. 
So he calls me back 10 minutes later, who's Sarah? <laughs> and I said, I was hoping you could tell me. And he goes, well, that was a men's cell block. I don't know. Now, unfortunately, the story is very disturbing, but he found a, a, a security, a corrections officer from the early 70s when the jail was fairly new. And he said to this, he called him up and say, hey, hey Joe, you know any reason why there would be the name Sarah? He says, oh, absolutely. He remembered distinctly there was a man in the cell where I had the, the digital recorder back in the early 70s. He unfortunately had been abusing his daughter who was named Sarah. Now he led this man to the phone because the man wanted to call his wife and he listened to the conversation of this man repeatedly say, please ask Sarah to forgive me. Um, that's all I want in this life is for Sarah to forgive me. Um, he went back to his cell and 45 minutes later, they found he had hung himself and committed suicide. And basically his last words were about Sarah. So we, this was not anything we could have faked because no one there that night knew anything about this story. So to me that, I, I get covered with goosebumps every time I listen to that particular uh, recording. And I, I don't know how anybody listening to this story could say it was a coincidence. No. Uh, okay. They certainly could. I mean, there are people out there who won't believe anything is of a paranormal nature. Mm -hmm. uh, and th that's not who should be listening to this, you know, because don't, don't try to beat somebody down for the work that they're doing, because that's important work. And, um, you know, there's just too much of that negativity that, that goes on. There's no reason for it. If you don't believe it, that's fine. Move on. Nothing for you to see here. Right. But, uh, for the people that, that do listen to this podcast, I think there are, uh, a pretty good percentage of the people who listen to it are open to the idea that there's something, there's more to this world than we can explain. And I'll leave it at that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> that story gave me the chills when you were telling me. And <laughs> I, I, I say this quite often now, actually, but I'm going to have to stop saying it because uh, I usually don't get the chills but, you know, when, when hearing a story like that, I usually don't get the chills. Um, but it's happening more and more often because the people that I'm talking to have chilling stories. And th that's literally a chilling story. That's what a chilling story is. Um, yes. and, or a chilling experience, I should say. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not a right. story that you made up. Right. That's an experience you had. Yeah. I do have one other if you're – well, I have – I have like 200 others, but one other that <laughs> made a particular impression on me was um, uh, there's a psychic, a psychic Barbara who uh, works with us sometime. And we were at a um, the Nyack Library, which is in the Hudson Valley, beautiful old library. And they have a lot of strange experience, objects moving, footsteps, things like that. 
So Barbara and I were alone in this children's reading room. It's just a big open room. So you can picture the two of us in the dark in this, in this haunted library. And all of a sudden she stops and she looks at me and she said, there's an older woman trying to give you a message. I'm like, okay, why is somebody in the library giving me a message? She said, she keeps, she keeps singing something all right you know I'm, I'm complete loss and she said she keeps singing this song let the circle be unbroken i i think i gasped i backed away and i was like no 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 because three days earlier was my mother-in-law's funeral and the one song they played was i had never heard it before was let the circle be unbroken and everybody stood there holding hands um, while they played this song and it was a it was an extremely emotional moment i never told barbara anything about this and i it it just so blew my mind and i'm like okay uh, you know i i caught my breath and she just wanted everyone to know that she was okay but Barbara said she knows what you do and that's why she's contacting you she knew I investigated ghosts so how this all happened I'm in the Nyack library she shows up and freaks me out <laughs> but then I was able to go back to the family and you know you never know how they're going to react to this but once they heard the story it was comforting to them that their mother was okay uh, because she died very suddenly you know didn't get to say goodbye um and just used barbara and i to get that message across so was he whose mother was it yeah, my mother-in-law was my husband's oh, your, your mother, mother oh, okay mm -hmm. yeah i was so engrossed in the story and and then um you know, it immediately came into my mind that the, it was the spirit of the person who had passed away. But I, for, you know, I didn't realize who the, the funeral was for. Right, right. And, you know, I certainly didn't talk. I, I, you know, it was upsetting, so I didn't talk about it. And um, but that song, I don't know if you're familiar with it. I had never heard it before. And uh, so certainly that song was was the indisputable proof to me that you know it had to be that woman saying this um because there was no other way for her to know yeah yeah <laughs> Unless... pretty specific information let me put it that way <laughs> well and and even if let's say she is a mind reader right mm -hmm. you would have to have been thinking about that particular song and and that moment for her to be able to read your mind right Oh, right. Absolutely. And uh, that was the furthest thing from my mind. Like I said, I was fully engaged in it because we had had some strange sounds and things. And if you've ever been on a ghost hunt, you are on high alert the second you walk in that door because you never know what's going to happen when. And so you're, you know, you're when you're trying to hear a sound or look carefully at something, you're really, you're really so 
focused on everything. So that was the last thing that was in my mind. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good, uh, a good, what, what did you call that? The, the song was uh, Let the Circle Be Unbroken. Um, I, I don't even know who did it. I, 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 and I do have to confess, I thought, is this song ever going to be over? <laughs> because it just, you know, it's very dramatic, very moving, but it just went on and on. Um, yeah. So, yes, that was the perfect way um, to, yeah, we, I, I know you didn't quite care for that song. So <laughs> let, <laughs> let me freak you out. <laughs> right. right. Uh, you know, some of those, some of those experiences to people that are unex, uh, uh, un, not, not expecting it. Um, I guess they could be disconcerting, but uh, if you think about it, and and you realize what that experience was meant to do it could actually be a comforting experience yes once the initial mind-blowing shock um you know as i said i just was backing away with my hands up saying no 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 because <laughs> it, it was just so out of nowhere so you know in your face um and undeniable uh, but once you know, I realized, wow, that is that is very sweet. She just wants everyone to know she's okay. Um, so yes, as I said, it turned out to be a comfort for the family. So have you ever had a, uh, well, I, I know you said that you've had intuitive feelings and, you know, the sixth sense type of uh, uh, feelings, but have you ever had an experience where you had a kind of um, like a psychic, whether it was a premonition of something to happen or, you mm. know, you felt like some something was talking to you and giving you information that you don't know where that source was coming from. Have you ever had any experiences like that? Uh, on an investigation for sure, but I, I can't, I can't say that I ever had anything precognitive, like I knew something bad was going to happen and was able to avoid it. Um, no, I, unfortunately, I don't have those those kind of abilities, but certainly there have been on investigations information that um, I could not have gotten otherwise about, about the people involved. Um, well, that... With, the first story you told me, for example, the first experience you, you shared with the, right. the voice recorder. Yeah. Right. But, but the one museum where we were spending the night was the Columns Museum in Milford, Pennsylvania. And the second I walked in the door, I mean, the second, I envisioned this woman with upswept hair and a puffy sleeve long dress. And she was probably, she was, she was the strongest spirit entity ghost whatever you want to call her i've ever come across and it was like she was just reading me like a book and at one point um i just felt she knew she knew who i was knew what i did and wanted to prove it which you know sounds kind of crazy but i hear these the swishing sound like an old dress you know the whatever that fat taffeta or whatever that fit this swishing sound going 
to the back of the museum. And I, I, I yelled to Mike, she wants me to follow her. She wants to prove to me, you know, she knows who I am. So we go back there, follow the sound, and it's an office. And I was so deflated. I said to Mike, what is she going to do, fax me? <laughs> and he says, well, look at all those file cabinets. There's like five giant file cabinets or more, this huge bank. And I said, it could take me 10 years to go through that. He goes, well, just pull out a file and look. So I pull out a file and it happens to have an article in it on ghost hunting. And at the bottom, it talks about Linda Zimmerman, paranormal expert and ghost hunter. Interesting. And I guarantee out of the 10,000 files that were in there, that was the one article that had my name on it. And the sound led me there. And I pull out this folder. I pull out that article that talks about me. <laughs> you know? it's, and, it, go ahead. Yeah. And, and I do think I know who it was. It was this... Uh, Madame Peirce was her name. Her, her husband was uh, the man who invented or theorized the uh, philosophy of pragmatism. You can you can look. It's spelled Pierce, but it's pronounced Peirce. And she was a widow for many many years and had upswept hair, puffy sleeve dresses, and she was a local woman. And when she died, all of her belongings were brought to the museum. And since that time, other people have seen and felt her as well and describe her in the same way. And she was known for doing her remarkable tarot card readings. So she had some sort of psychic ability, and I, I don't think she's lost it in death. Sounds like it. So here's a question for your scientific mind. And this is also to anybody who might be listening that is still critical of these, uh, these type of events. How much evidence does it take to tip the needle in the direction of there's got to be something there that needs to be further investigated by more, more critical minds? You know, instead of people ignoring this or scoffing at it, you know, how, how many eyewitness accounts like that do people have to hear uh, to before they consider it evidence you know to some people as you alluded to before of uh, uh, you know an encyclopedia britannica of evidence wouldn't convince some people but to an honest scientific mind who judges the evidence i think a handful of cases like you know one maybe you can stretch the limits of i, I mean i don't know how this museum story you can say was a coincidence, you know, that I happened to pull that, that, you know, I happened to run, say she wants me to, you know, she wants to prove to me that she knows who I am. And I pull out the article with my name on it. That is, if I wrote that as fiction, no one would believe it. So that has to at least open your eyes. You get three, four, five other examples like that. If you're an honest scientist, you have to say, okay, this is so beyond what should be normally possible that there is some mechanism at work here. Um, I, I just think you, 
you can't deny it. No, I, I agree. The the more and and there are, you know, there are critical uh, scientific minds that do look into this stuff, but they mm -hmm. kind of do it on the down low for the most. They don't go writing about their experiences. They don't really publish their their findings for peer review and and things like that. And that's one thing that I think needs to happen. Oh, absolutely, for sure. I, I think at least in the UFO world, that is opening up a bit. You know, ever ever since the New York Times a few years ago had that article, and suddenly people, well, if the New York Times is talking about Tic Tac UFOs and Navy pilots saying it's beyond, you know, the the our capabilities, then maybe there is something to it. So in that regard, that field is is getting more scientists to come on board. But um, I think the paranormal field is definitely lagging. That is, I, I think if a scientist has a personal experience, that's that's the game changer for that scientist. But then trying to convince other scientists that is still a, a tough road to hoe there yeah and I, it's important what you said about the ufo phenomena being uh, more widely investigated by serious investigators by people who you know don't normally look into this because they're too busy trying to um discover new treatments for diseases or something you know yeah, they're, the, they're trying to discover, uh, you know, real science. They're tr they're trying to do real science, and this is this is just too a little bit too hokey for a, a you know f for most scientists. Yeah, for sure. But I, I recently became part of a group called the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies. Oh yeah, I know those guys. I, yes, I, yeah, I connected I, with them on Twitter. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I I was invited to become a member a few months ago and jumped at the chance. And it, I mean, it's a real honor. It's basically, you know, a hundred scientists, PhDs, people from all different disciplines, um, trying to do serious work and serious research excellent and nice shout uh for that organization um but what i was what i was getting at is they're willing to look at the ufo phenomena is it phenomenon or phenomena um i well yeah i know the, 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 the whole it, thing yes they're, they're the, the, whole the whole ball thing. of wax yeah. they're the whole ball of, of uh, ufo wax let's yeah. say that <laughs> the the thing is if they if they leave out the paranormal then they're leaving out part of the equation that is connected with the ufo mm -hmm. uh, topic yeah i'll call the, it the high strangeness they yes. call it Yes, I think I've talked to enough people that in my mind, there is a correlation, there is a cross uh, correlation between the, these, these two areas of interest. And they're, if, if you really look at it, they're not two separate areas of interest. They're one that just has multiple uh, manifestations, I think, mm -hmm. if, you, if you want to call it that.
And, and to be honest, I fought that at the beginning. You know, there I was, uh, you know, the, the paranormal researcher and people would say, well, you have to study UFOs because it's all connected. And I'm like, is it really? But the more I, I, I was wrong, um, the more I looked into it, they are intimately connected. I don't know how. But um, we, we, for instance, we, we have a town here in uh, Orange County, New York, Pine Bush. I don't know if you've heard it. It's, it's called the Northeast Capital, uh, UFO Capital. And hundreds, if not thousands, of UFO reports. And just about every house I can think and business I can think of has a ghost story attached to it. Um, just intense paranormal and UFO activity. Why in this one location? I, I don't know, but witnesses, hundreds of witnesses I've spoken to, um, often they'll have an intense uh, UFO sighting or encounter and paranormal things will start happening in their home. And it's like a, a gateway opens. If you have one experience, it kind of makes you more apt to have one of the other types of experiences. The, the more I learn and the more people that I talk to about these topics, uh, well, I, you know, you could call it this topic because what we're talking about is all kind of one thing. But uh, the, the more people that I talk about, the more experiences that I listen to, the more it frustrates me that there are not more serious people looking into this stuff, you know? And when I say mm -hmm. serious people, I mean, uh, government scientists, medical professionals. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a huge number of people in law enforcement and the military that are already ha have shared their experiences. Those are some of the supposedly most credible people that you could listen to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I don't understand why every uh, uh, level of science and, and uh, what's the educational system called? What do you call that? Academia. Academia. Yeah. <laughs> Those people aren't looking at this, this entire uh, topic with a serious, you know, with a critical, uh, lens yeah it, it's kind of a, it. a disgrace um that they don't at least acknowledge it um because i you know as i say it's kind of disingenuous of them to deny everything and that every witness over the last 50 60 100 years is is a lunatic a crackpot hallucinating um one of the things that if I can mention now that I became completely immersed in is animal reactions to UFOs. In fact, my book should be out any minute now. Um, and to me, they are the most honest, unbiased witnesses. And if a dog starts howling, a UFO appears, they freak out, they're disoriented, they're terrified. This is not a hallucination on a witnesses or multiple witnesses part you know dogs don't react because your imagination is getting away with you 
Um, they don't react because a JetBlue aircraft going to Detroit is going over that goes over, you know, every day at the same time. It, it, to me, these witness, these animal witnesses prove that something out of the ordinary is is going on. And I list dozens of cases. There are literally thousands of these cases, I'm sure, hundreds on record that show their superior hearing, uh, electromagnetic sense, the magnetoreception that they have. They are, whatever it is, they are sensing something that we're probably not capable of and reacting to it in ways that are undeniable. I mean, these, these animals are not trying to create a hoax. They're not doing it for fame and fortune. You can't get a more honest, genuine witness than the cattle and horses and dogs and cats and, and everything else. Uh, what's the name of the book and how can people get it when it's, up, when it's out? It's called, uh, simply enough, Animal Reactions to UFOs. I didn't want to get too clever with the title and not, people not know what I'm talking about. And it should be available on Amazon, uh, if not today, by the end of the week. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, so late, late November. Well, by the time this comes out, it'll probably be a week or two before I can publish this. Okay, then it so should be out. The book will be out for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's great. Yeah. And, you know, as we were talking about the, uh, the scientific and the academia communities, uh, just need to get on board and accept that there's more to this reality than, than they can explain and start really seriously looking into it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's another reason I did write this book out of frustration with, you know, all these witnesses being discredited. Y you go and, you know, try to discredit the German shepherd who knew the UFO was coming, you know, five minutes before the humans saw it and, you know, explain their reactions to this. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, if this doesn't open some eyes, um, well, uh, as we said, they, they can deny, but I'm hoping it'll open some eyes. Well, uh, until they do, uh, it's going to be left up to people like you and uh, the people that are doing work at Skinwalker Ranch are doing some very important work. Are you familiar with that? Yes. Yes. Again, I, I applaud the instruments and the level of uh, science, the scientific approach they're taking to this to try to get, to try to get evidence you know, on, on paper, um, show us the data that yes, this is a highly unusual place and these instruments are proving it. So, um, another important, uh, nonprofit organization that's contributing to this is Skyhub. Have you heard of that? Mm-hmm. Okay. I love the instrumentation that's being deployed. There's a, a couple of different groups that are working on this. And again, uh, any, any point of data, any speck of scientific evidence we can get to, to build that wall of certainty that uh, something concrete is absolutely going on that we can't explain in terms of human capabilities. Now, there, there's so much to talk about with the UFO part of this equation. Um, 
before we go too far down the rabbit hole, the proverbial rabbit mm -hmm. hole. <laughs> I'm, I'm familiar with rabbit holes. I live in one most of the time. <laughs> cool. Very cool. Um, I, I would just like to ask you first, how are you doing on time? Do you need a break? No, I'm good. Okay. Um, could you give me some of the, um, how you went from, I, I, you kind of touched on it, but what was it that, um, the, what was the trigger that made you decide to make the cross over from strictly paranormal to looking into the UFO uh, topic seriously? Oh, I know that absolute moment that the light bulb went on and the trigger got pulled. Um, I was just finishing up a, a paranormal lecture at the New City, New York Library uh, years ago, and a woman came up who had actually gone to school with my husband, so they knew each other. And she starts telling me about her boyfriend's experiences where he had um, abduction experience as a child, uh, when he was older, all of this. And I'm, you know, I'm standing there, I'm like, is this woman crazy? Is her boyfriend crazy? You know, I'm because these are just absolutely remarkable stories. And, you know, she left and I turned to my husband and I whispered, is, is this guy, you know, she's talking about, is he nuts? What? It, he's like, no, I never heard these stories. He goes, no, he's a great, normal, down to earth guy. You know, so is she. And, you know, so we were both astonished. And I said, and I remember my words, if even half of this is correct, I have to start, you know, researching this and writing about it. And that was the trigger. And um, I interviewed him, him in depth and not only found him to be the most credible, one of the most credible witnesses, but I said, you know, not to, not to offend you, but I'd like to speak to your mother because she was still alive in her 80s, quite, quite lucid. And um, I said, you know, to be, to be fair, I want to talk to her, you know, were you a really imaginative child? Did you make up stories, things like that? So I'm interviewing her and the way she's talking, like she's very, she goes, oh, yes, he would tell us about this and that. And, uh, and just the way she was talking, I'm like, well, wait a minute. Have you had your own experiences as well? Yes, starting in 1937 when I was a kid. <sighs> Again, it was one of those fall out of your chair moments. And it turned out she was starting to have missing time and seeing things, you know, inexplicable craft and, and things uh, going back to 1937. And it turns out her husband lived in the same apartment building then. And he was also having these experiences. They end up getting married, having children who have these experiences, the grandchildren have these experiences, and now the great-grandchildren. So talk about a way to um, dip your foot into the field. I mean, talk about that rabbit hole. I fell hard and deep into a multi-generational uh, experiencer family and came to find that many of these people who do have these intense encounters and experiences also have other family members that multi-generational is not uncommon in this field 
So um, yeah, day one, mind blown, and uh, I've been at it ever since. So sometimes a guest will tell me something that kind of derails my my thought process and takes me on a different path, and that's where I'm at right now. So I'm trying okay. to formulate a question. <laughs> trying to formulate a question to follow up on that. Um, yeah, that's kind of my reaction at the end of the interview. <laughs> you know, ah. <Yeah>. Oh. <laughs> well, first of all, kudos to you for you know for for giving it enough consideration to to be willing to go out and follow up on the guy's story uh, oh what, one question i did have uh did, would you would you like to share his name or w- is that something that you don't you want to keep under uh, no um at the time he didn't want his name out there but his name is gary Tribert. i have written about him in my books um i did a podcast if you don't mind me mentioning it if people want more um, information. Um, Absolutely. My, my okay. podcast is to inform, educate, and entertain people. And if, if I can point them in a direction or a, a, the guests can point them in a direction to go learn more about the topic, then by okay. all means. Okay. So my podcast um, is uh, UFO Headquarters. It's on Hudson River Radio, but it's on Stitcher and Spreaker and Apple Podcast, you know, all podcast platforms known to mankind. And I think it was our second or third episode. And just look up um, Gary. And uh, I think at that point, that was, I think, the first time he actually used his his real name. And you can get the whole story from from his lips. And it is a stunner. Uh, it, it, it tickled me when you told me the name of your podcast, because I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> that is a cool podcast name. <laughs> well, I also liked it because in a rush, I can say UFOHQ. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, do you have a website for that podcast? Um, again, you can go to, uh, HudsonRiverRadio.com and the podcast will be, you know, UFO headquarters will be listed and you can listen there to all of them. But again, a lot of people have other podcast platforms and uh, it should be available on that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay, good. And um, yeah, hats off to Gary for, you know, having the courage to step up and share his story and let you come into his life and do some deep background research on his family. Yeah, like I said, I didn't want to be offensive, but if I'm going to do a good job, I can't just take his word for it if there are other potential witnesses to it. So, you know, to do my due diligence and, you know, it's amazing. There's something to this field that kind of bonds you to to witnesses and uh, we've all become great friends. And, um, you know, I miss him during this pandemic because we would he and his girlfriend and my husband and I would get together and, you know, watch bad science fiction movies and eat popcorn and, you know, just have a great time. So I've, I've made a lot of wonderful friends um, in this field, you know, because like you said, people, it's a, it's a big leap for them to open up about what might be the most traumatic or important experiences in their life that they wouldn't talk to anybody before about 
you know, and to share these deep experiences, you know, I, I feel privileged to be in that, in that position. And uh, yeah, I've made some, some wonderful friends and associations over the year as a result. Uh, that's a good point. And that's something that I've talked with several uh, researchers and, and investigators who actually look into these cases. When dealing with the experiencers, uh, you have to really approach it as if the person has had a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, it is. Sometimes it's positive they can't wait to have another one, but I, I think that's in the minority. And which is a little bit of a, a you know, going back to the, the paranormal investigations, those experiences where people feel like they're being haunted, they're well, yeah, I mean, in some cases, I guess they would be traumatic and where, you know, you got people's lives disrupted. Um, but it, it seems like the UFO experiencers seem to have more of a negative experience than people who come in contact with, you know, the paranormal. Yeah, at least I think. I I would like to say in the case of the paranormal, people, even though they may be shocked and, and frightened, they, for the most part, they can wrap their heads around, oh, it was the person who was murdered in my living room that's haunting the place. Or, you know, all right, that's my father who's, you know, coming to see me. Or there, there's, there's more of a level of acceptance that it you know, in the spiritual world, I think, than if a massive triangle is hovering over you and you know hitting you with a beam of light, and three hours later you you wake up. Um, that is, it, 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 the paranormal is at least a domestic issue, I'd say, and you know the other part is just so alien, so beyond what society is telling us is possible um you know we have ghosts in popular culture it's you know we've got casper and we have uh you know dickens a christmas carol and you know even hamlet had you know the ghost there on the parapet so it's something in our culture but the ufo et whatever you want to call it is just not in our frame of reference yeah because people equate it to something you know on a level that is so foreign uh mm -hmm. you know and then some people say that it's demons or you know there's there's good and a bad mm -hmm. side so there's demons and angels and uh it's just so it's so far outside of our paradigm. And this is why the scientific community and the, the academic community and these, these groups that have built this, uh, you know, that have molded our, our culture and our society, they need to, to break out of that and allow people to start to learn and accept these things as reality, part of our reality. Yeah, and, and hopefully that is starting to happen. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, they, they do some polls and find out that younger people are like, 
yeah, of course there's other civilizations. Yeah, I guess they could visit us, you know. So it's not such a big deal, I think, for younger people. Um, you know, not all, but I think it's becoming more, more accepted, but there's still that entrenched group um, who doesn't want to hear about it, evidence or not. Yeah. Uh, now, you, you've probably interviewed dozens, maybe hundreds of witnesses. Oh, of, many, many hundreds. Yes. Uh, okay, many hundreds. Um, and I'm sure that there's not many uh, experiences that you've heard that are, are unique. I mean, it seems like there's probably a lot of similarities to the experiences, but is there anything that stands out in your mind that is just off the charts weird? Oh, where do I begin? Um. <laughs> we're talking, we're talking the Mount Everest of weird. <laughs> oh, the Mount Everest of weird. What is my absolute weirdest? Um, yeah, the one that that made, uh, well, there's many, but one that made a particular uh, impression on me. This man is a um, an elected official, and he's also a high-ranking um, uh, person in the local school system in the area that he lives. So, you know, just rational, down-to-earth guy who highly educated, obviously. Um, wouldn't help his chances for re-election by putting out this story, but it was uh, around 1983 when there was a huge wave of giant triangles and V-shaped craft in the Hudson Valley. And tens of thousands of witnesses over six years saw these. And one night, his dog is whining and acting really crazy by the back sliding door. So he thinks, oh, he's not feeling well. He wants to go out. So he opens the door. The dog won't go out. He basically has to push the dog out onto the deck where the dog curls up into a ball and is whining and whimpering pitifully. And he's like, what is wrong? And then he realizes the sky just seems extra dark. And he looks up. And there is a massive craft, just triangular craft, just taking up the whole sky, very, very low in the sky. And he just, you know, of course, freezes. He yells for his wife. His wife comes running out. You know, they're somewhat freaking out. What is this thing? Slowly, it starts to move away. These craft would hover sometimes for 20 minutes over people and then move away so slowly you could walk along with it. So it finally moves off and they're they're trying to, you know, process what did we what did we just see? And I don't think it was that night. I think it was the next night he wakes up and when he's telling me the story, he said there was this squirrel person in the window. And I'm thinking, gee, you know, he had me until then. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm picturing this giant squirrel. And then he said, then there was this owl person standing at the foot of my bed and the next thing I know it's morning and I feel terrible and I have a bloody nose and I'm thinking I, I said you know what I said I'm having some difficulty here I said you need to sketch as best you can what you're talking about because I'm picturing you know a giant fuzzy tailed squirrel and a, and a massive owl well what he he drew just 
made my blood run cold. He called the squirrel person a squirrel person because it was about as typical a gray alien as you can imagine with the big the big eyes, you know, kind of a narrow head and these big eyes. And then the what he called the owl person, he said it was kind of like a person, but very, very white with an enormous round head. And again, with huge, these were rounder eyes. They weren't tapered like the squirrel person. So I'm like, okay, now I, now I get it. Thank you for that. And this continued several nights a week, month after month, uncontrollable nosebleeds. He's, he's starting to have a nervous breakdown. He's afraid to go home and go to bed, you know, when you're not safe in your own home. So he finally goes to a doctor saying, you know, I just keep having these nosebleeds. So the doctor, one of those scopes, they can look up into your sinuses. Mm -hmm. They put, so he puts this up in the man's sinuses and he says, well, who's been operating on you? And he's like, no, I haven't had any opera. Yeah. Somebody's been cutting into your sinuses here. It's clearly surgical work, you know, and this is not anything he could you know, he's not going to take a pencil and do this himself. You know, this isn't anything he could have done to himself. And he said that was the last straw. He actually moved out of the house. And fortunately, the experience stopped. But this was months of hell, you know, again, in his own home. And the the implications are just un- unbelievable to this. Uh, but here we have documented medical reports that someone was doing some sort of surgery repeatedly in this man's sinuses. And to his mind, he was just asleep in bed these nights. So um, that's, that is up there, I believe, in the strangeness category. Did you ever, did you ever recommend uh, regressive hypnosis? Most people don't want to do that. Um, he remembers enough, uh, and he just doesn't. Uh, at this point, the last I knew, he didn't want to look into it more. I mean, he saw his his dog reacted to whatever this was. He and his wife saw the craft. He saw these beings, whatever they were, the two different types. He, he you know, he had the physical reactions. He had the the medical report, um, I, I think that's that's enough of the puzzle pieces to know something was happening during those times when he blacked out. Were these creatures the same or were they two different species? According to the way he described them, they were different. The, you know, the- It sounds the, like they were different. Yeah, the narrow-headed, taper-eyed one who he never said came in the house. They were always outside looking in the window and it was always the white one with the round head who he would see at the foot of his bed. And then the next thing he knows, you know, six hours later and he's dazed, didn't feel like he had gotten any rest and it really, really took a physical toll on him. And again, this was until that point, there was just nothing in his life to, to indicate something like this would happen or to, 
you know, it wasn't like some great tragedy happened to him and he lost his mind. You know, it just, and yet his wife didn't experience anything, mm. um, believed him. And, you know, they did move. Uh, but yeah, it's there. I, I have no reason to doubt this man. And he is still a, you know, an elected official. He's even higher up in the political food chain now. Um, so just a responsible, you know, educated, uh, working professional. Yeah, I, I'm not trying to um, to shed doubt on on his experience at all. Uh, but but it it just ha it leaves me with so many questions of oh, why. Oh, sure, sure. You know, just why? And and sometimes I feel like a a regressive um, session would help uncover those kind of answers but it sounds like a person who go, experiences something like that because i've never had an experience like that um you know not even close i've never even seen a light in the sky that i can't easily explain as a a plane or a satellite you know but uh for somebody to have that kind of an experience i'm sure that he has no interest in like learning more about it like why was he singled out and why did it stop when he moved it seems like if if they really wanted him they would know where he moved to and go find him right you would think actually um he said uh i guess the week after he moved out into his new place he saw them they were still it was like yeah we know where you are but the nosebleeds stopped and the missing time stopped so maybe they, who knows, maybe they realized, wow, we're, we're, we're pushing our limits here with this poor guy. Um, I, I don't, you know, I don't have any of the answers to this. I just know the people I talk to. And when you look in somebody's eyes and they're telling you these stories, wow, it, talk about it giving you the chills. But, you know, not everybody is honest and not everybody is believable. And I've had, of course, especially in this field, more than more than a fair share of people who it's like, yeah, okay, no, um, un unfortunately. But when you get a genuine, uh, somebody's had a genuine experience, you know, even if it's you know, you know, a, a craft they see very close and it just takes off, and that's you know, it's three seconds of their life that they won't ever forget there's just a look about them that you know they had some sort of life-altering experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have talked to uh, just a couple of people face-to-face -face about experiences like this. I've talked to uh, several more people over the, the phone or, or, you know, through, through Zoom meetings. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's just getting more, uh, okay. <laughs> It's like every question answered raises 10 more questions that, you know, like we said, uh, when we first started talking about this particular part of the topic, it's a rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. And how far down that rabbit hole do you want to go? <laughs> Welcome to my world. Yes. yes it's yes. <laughs> uh, like you said, one answer, 10 more questions for sure, which doesn't mean we shouldn't keep pursuing you know, 
those those questions uh, because that's what leads us to, you know, again back to the the animal reactions thing that came about because the hundreds of people I would uh, interview. I can't tell you how many store my dog was going nuts or I heard the cattle and the horses going crazy. So I went outside to check and there was this craft. And so you're, you know, after you hear this 50, 60 times, you're like, well, what is going on here? And so, yeah, it was a lot more questions. And, and the book, I don't expect me to give you definitive answers, but it's all these questions we need to explore in more depth. Is it something about these craft, some sort of energy fields, their means of propulsion? And and one thing that got me, this this woman, Joan Woodward, wrote a fabulous paper about this for for MUFON back in 2005, lots of statistics and, and breaking down all of these cases. She has this one line that they looked at all of these cases and compared the types of craft that were seen at the time, you know, rectangles, squares, discs, whatever. And she just has this little notation that the shape of the craft had no bearing on the animal reactions. They were all the same. And to me, that was like this huge red flag that went up. And I'm like, wait a minute. You're telling me that regardless of a disc, a massive triangle, a small rectangle, a cigar shape, the animals universally react the same, almost in in every case. And so what does that say about the nature of these craft? Are they all sharing similar technology? Do they, are they all built by the same whoever? Is it something we're building with some sort of technology that's not been released? What, whatever it is, it speaks to a common technology if it's causing a common reaction, at least in my opinion, which I think is a huge avenue to explore. I think that's a good point. If you if you study the behavior of animals, you're going to know if a, an animal reacts differently to a, a person on a bicycle riding past them versus a, a, a bus driving past them. So that 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 animal is going to react in a different way, a different level of intensity. But if they see these craft and it doesn't really matter what size or shape, they react the same way. That's really I, that that does seem like a very telling indicator of of a similarity in the technology that's interesting yeah i think that is is a profound thing and uh and and you know you bring up a good point people know their pets they know their barnyard animals and they know the wildlife in the area so they know when it's some uncharacteristic behavior you know it's just you know, so many people have said, I have no idea. I never heard my dog make that noise before. Never saw cattle act like this. I didn't know they could act like this. They're just, you know, sometimes there's other types of reaction, but for the most part, it's fear and extreme reactions. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you, you know, people say, look, I live near an airport, aircraft's going on over the time, or they live near an Air Force base. You know, my animals hear jets and helicopters all the time and never even look up. 
you know, I had dogs for, for many, many years. I, I love animals. And we live near an air, uh, uh, an airport that also has an Air National Guard. So we'd have all kinds of things. I, I had a German Shepherd and a Husky. I never even recall them stopping what they were doing or looking up. It was just part of their daily routine. So when an animal suddenly violently or inexplicably acts completely out of character, you know, you're going to take notice of that. And it, it speaks to something completely foreign and, and out of their ordinary realm of experience. And animals do not like new things for the most part. You know, especially animals who, you know, rabbits, there's some great stories about that. Any animal who is a prey animal, they're not happy about new sights, sounds, smells, because, you know, that's usually a threat to them. Uh, it's so fascinating, but there's so many things that need to be talked about. And um, well, first of all, I hope your book gets widespread um, distribution. I, I hope a lot of people pick that book up and read it because that is an important, and I think a very underexplored, if not never looked at. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Area yeah. Of this. Yeah. Yeah. When I first became interested, I said, well, I have to get the book or books that have been written on this and there were none i'm like how can this even be and so the people and other researchers or people interested in the field i've spoken about they're they're like well how come nobody thought of this before and i thought yeah exactly you know people have done catalogs of animal reactions and you know this one paper i i spoke about um but nobody's really, you know, it's a curiosity. Let's make a database of animal reactions and let's leave it there. And, you know, clearly there's so much evidence. I mean, I have cases from around the world, you know, going back to 1873. So, so this is a universe, a global phenomenon and that's been going on for uh, 150 years, at least. And I'm sure, you know, long before that. So, um, yeah, so hopefully it it makes somewhat of a stir. As you mentioned with the, uh, the gentleman who had the experience that turned out to be pretty negative uh, impact in his life for during the time that he was having the experience. Is that a common theme or is that something that kind of stands alone on it or, or is a very rare occurrence in, in this abduction? The multiple experiences, so many, so close together um, is on the rare side, but um, people who have had uh, an intense, again, experience or sighting, not, not lights in the sky, you know, a craft following them down the street or you know, some sort of contact missing time, tend to have multiple experiences throughout their lives. Um, maybe several in a few years, maybe a lot of people, they start very, very young, you know, like pre-kindergarten age, and it continues until later life. Um, Gary's mother was having experiences from 1937 until she passed away just a few years ago. Uh, so it, it varies, but um, 
for the most part, people are angry, bitter about the experiences. They feel violated when it's a missing time or abduction. If it's just a sighting, um, it tends to be much more positive. Many people was the most, uh, one man said it was the most terrifying, exhilarating, beautiful experience of my life. And as frightened as he was that night, he, he returned the next night and he wanted, and he's still hoping 40 years later to experience it. So I, it, it really depends to a huge uh, uh, degree as to how traumatic that experience or experiences is, were. So it seems like it runs the gamut from people who just see some lights in the sky or maybe even see the, the shape of a craft and are, are just in a moment of wonderment and then they never have that experience again to where people are being taken multiple times and on the extreme end being taken multiple times over a short period of time consecutively. I, I could see where that would be the more traumatic uh, end of the spectrum. Yeah, because it's completely out of your control, um, yes, exactly. like I said, and, and extremely violating. But, uh, you know, I, I'm in the in, in the group where, wow, I would love to see some, you know, I, I've had some experiences, but give me more as long as it's, you know, at a safe distance. And, you know, to see these spectacular things, I, I saw one of the V-shaped craft, uh, 1988, a friend and I are driving back from, we had dinner with some friends and she says, well, what's that? I'm driving by this big field and there is this abs, it was August. So the windows are down, absolutely silent, enormous V-shaped craft with these rounded uh, lights that I'd never seen lights like that before. Nothing like aircraft lights. They didn't you know, they didn't propagate down to the ground. They weren't lighting anything up. They were just these glowing, massive lights, about five of them, you know, one on the point and two on each section of the V. And it just silently glided in, a, again, in a motion, just not like any aircraft I had ever seen. And unfortunately, uh, you know, went over some trees and disappeared in the distance. And you know, we just both looked at each other with our jaws open and, okay, that was very special. You know, absolutely nothing terrifying about it. And in a heartbeat, tell me where it's going to be again, because I'd like to sit there and, and watch it go by. Um, so in that regard, that was, that was fab. You know, you feel lucky mm -hmm. to, to experience. Most people feel lucky to see something like that. And I could sit there, that's, you know, ghost hunting, uh, a, a house could be haunted for a hundred years. And if you go there long enough, you'll probably experience something. I could set up a lawn chair in that field and in the next hundred years, not see a single thing. Um, so that's, that's the difficulty uh, of this field. Um, it's very hard to be an active uh, viewer of, of something like this, um, which made the, the wave of the 1980s so special because any given night of the week for six years, um, you had a pretty good chance of seeing something in the skies uh, in the Hudson Valley. My mind goes to why, why, why that period of 
of time and why that area of, of the country? You know, as to why this area of the country, um, I can only say it's something that's been going on for a long time because th we had a huge wave in 1909. So, you know, the 1980s, a lot of people say it was secret stealth government black projects, you know, that's all it was. And they chose to test them by lighting them like Christmas trees and having them hover over highways, which is, you know, <laughs> highly, highly uh, impractical. But we can't use any of those excuses in 1909. No one was flying at night yet. Uh, aircraft was basically stick and fabric, you know, Wright Brothers stuff. Um, and yet all throughout uh, the Hudson Valley, then up into New England, up into uh, Canada, uh, thousands of people on any given night were seeing craft with enormous spotlights. Well, planes didn't have lights. They could barely get a person off the ground, you know, let alone a huge spotlight and the, the big batteries needed to power it. Um, they would hover, they would move very fast, seen for hours, uh, traveling huge distances, just absolutely nothing that we had the capability of doing. And people speculate, oh, it was mass hysteria. Yeah, well, you find me one article written during that period that anybody thought it was men from Mars. People were excited because they thought either uh, the Wright brothers or Thomas Edison, who didn't live far from the Hudson Valley, had invented, you know, or some other inventor had created this great craft. And, and any day now, he's going to release it and he's going to be world famous. It never happened. And in, in the last hundred years, no one has found prototypes, blueprints, uh, not one shred of evidence to say that those craft were man-made. So there's just something of interest in that area, it sounds like. Right. And there has been for, for over 100 years. Well, probably even longer than that. That's just documented, right? Right. I think we can probably push that back. You know, Native Americans, um, you know, they have stories uh, going, stretching way, way back. Yeah. And their petroglyphs, if you look at some of the petroglyphs, I know a lot of the the uh, anthropologists who study those things will say, oh, these were animals or bugs or different things. But I mean, some of that stuff looks. Looks like owl people and squirrel people. <laughs> it does, absolutely. <laughs> it looks so, I mean, it's like, how, how could you interpret this as, you know, as a creature, as an ant or a grasshopper, man, that looks like an alien. Yeah, this, and I, this thing flying in the air that's supposed right. to be a bird i don't think so man yeah What's, yeah what are these intended things coming out of it <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah and i i spoke to uh, i was at a conference out in arizona and i i spoke to a zuni elder and he said yeah for generations we've known you know the star people or whatever they call them and he said we've known it all along but nobody ever asked us you know, we were, he said, you know, we were just considered to be ignorant savages. What did we know? And to them, it's just a normal part of their existence that these beings exist and have been interacting for 
thousands of years. Yeah, that's so true. And I think that their way of passing information is an oral history. It's not a written history other than what you see on, on the rocks, the rock art and stuff like that. But they, they have that oral history and that's supposedly, I guess, to the scientific community, not as reliable as a written record of, of events. Uh, but th those people have been doing that for generations, going back thousands of years. Yeah. And, and when you find this tradition in so many uh, indigenous peoples from all over the world, you know, it's not, it's not a coincidence at all. Yeah. So that, that's another part of the equation that people cannot exclude from the investigation, from the study of this, this topic. Exactly. There, there are just so many ways to approach this field, but if you won't even admit it's a possibility or at least worth your time to explore, you're, you know, it's not even that one segment of it isn't getting a proper look. There's a vast field with so many ways to approach it. Just open, you know, take the first step and look at it honestly. Yeah. And, you know, look at the wealth of, of knowledge and information on this. Is, has every person for the last couple of thousand years who saw these things, you know, just going about their business, suddenly seeing something, is everyone hallucinating? Is everyone crazy? Um, that's just, I would be, I would be more afraid that every witness was unbalanced <laughs> than there were extraterrestrials in our atmosphere because, wow, something is seriously wrong with the human race if so many millions of people um, are out of their minds. That's a, you know, that's a great point. And I think I'm going to, out of respect for your time, I think that's that's going to be a good place for us to to put a pin in it and maybe come back and, and talk about this some more at a later time, because I mean, I could do this for another hour, but I want to be respectful of other people's time. And we don't want audience fatigue. That's true too. Yeah. I mean, I forget. Yeah. 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 Like with my, uh, with my book, I could have put in 300 more cases and it's like, well, how many barking dog stories do you really want? I mean, you know, I put in a representative group to prove my point and, you know, let, let the, let the audience, the readers take it from there. And you know what, that's a great point. And it just reminded me that um, this will be the, the last question or topic that we discussed, but we've like kind of cherry picked some really interesting cases throughout your career as an investigator and a researcher. Even an experience, I didn't even realize that you had had your own experience with the, the UFO. But uh, is there anything that I might have forgotten to ask you that should be talked about to, to bring up the w awareness of people? You know, just be open to things. Um, read all you can. There's plenty of things to watch, you know, documentaries and things. Um just educate yourself is is basically what it is. Um, it's these are not a handful of crackpot people. They're astronauts, test pilots, doctors, aerospace engineers. You know, people from all walks of life. And this one woman, she put she was an older woman who was 
really had been ridiculed when she first talked about her experience years ago. And she said, you know, I didn't ask to be a witness. It happened. And I, and I don't appreciate people making fun of me for it, you know, ridiculing me. And just keep that in mind. These people don't go out there and look for these experiences. They happen to them. And, you know, even if you can't give them your support, don't give them your ridicule. Yeah, that's true. And in the same, in the same uh, context, be very careful of the so-called experts that you listen to, mm -hmm. um, because there are people who are intentionally uh, distributing disinformation for for one reason or another, uh, and those are people that you you, you want to veer away from. Avoid like the plague. <laughs> yeah, that that's why I concentrate on relating witnesses' accounts. That's what I stick with. I don't go off into, you know, the speculation and wild theories and and all of that. I do that myself. I like to I like to speculate and and think about what is you know possibly. Uh, the intention of these things and things like that. But I'm not going to be the guy who says this is what their intention is. That's the difference. Have the curiosity. Do the, do the, you know, do your speculation. Absolutely. I, you can't help it. You're, you know, if you research this, your mind has to look for answers. But yes, avoid the people who say, here's the truth. Here's, you know, I have all the proof of who they are, what they're doing here. So that's that's about all I have to say. Well, great. That's a a lot of good, solid information and some entertaining anecdotes, which um, I truly enjoyed the last hour or two hours that we've been talking. So have I. I, I appreciate the the ability to just have a conversation about it and talk about the things that I I am passionate about. Thank you. Well, thank you for saying that, and thank you for doing it as well. My pleasure. And, you know, we certainly can do it again sometime. Let, let your audience digest this one. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. With that, Linda, I guess I will let you go. I mean, it's been a great time talking to you and I'd love to sit here and talk to you for more hours. But again, we'll, we'll do this again another time. Sounds good. I appreciate it. And again, thanks to Preston for, uh, you know, suggesting me. This was an excellent recommendation for me to get to speak to you. So. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I, I could not be happier with the conversation that we had. All right, Linda, take care. You too.